This is Preach Freedom by Alex Mole. Let's get talking. Hello, everyone. What a joy to have you on our podcast today. Um, we have Christina, who happens to be a executive pastor with Plainview Assembly of God, and she's currently researching. Um, on racial inequality and racial reconciliation. So, Christina, good to have you on, on this podcast. Thank you, Alex. It's good to be here. All right. So, haven't uh, mentioned your background. Is there anything you would like to add to your background that uh, I haven't mentioned yet? Sure. I think important to understand is that I grew up um, in South Florida, the child of Cuban immigrants. My family. Had my parents, up until my parents' generation, was all born in Cuba and came to the United States to ex- escape the communist oppression in Cuba and to provide a better life for their families here. And so I grew up in South Florida in a very multiracial, multi-ethnic context. And so when I went to, to even Central Florida, I realized how different <laughs> the church was and how different even the communities were than where I had grown up. And I truly had been naive and completely insulated, I guess, from the idea that there was still racial inequality, especially within the church. I assumed every church was like my own and in my own yeah. church, the minorities were the majority. And so uh, I, I had, there was a, quite an awakening experience when I went to college. And now many years later throughout my ministry, I've continued to kind of observe and quietly take in those realities. Yeah, wonderful. That, that's quite interesting that you say that, given the fact that you are a leader in a Pentecostal church, in a Pentecostal environment. How long have you been in a church? You know, I know you have been a believer for a while. But how long would you say you have attended church in totality? Um, I am 36 years old and I have attended church my entire memory. I believe officially I was about two years old when my dad started taking us to church at Christian Life Center. It, be, it was Oakland Park Assembly and before it was Christian Life Center. So, and you have so, attended so for 34 years I've been in the church. <laughs> yeah, you have attended predominantly an AG church. So you would say that your theological persuasion has been formed by the AG, right? Yes, 100%. 100%. Okay. And even my university was an Assemblies of God university, and where I'm doing my master's work is also Assemblies of God. Okay, excellent. Wonderful. All right. Do you think the church, the Pentecostal church, given your own experience, has cared enough for its community? So that's a little bit of a loaded question. <laughs> and in my experience, I think that particular churches, local individual churches, may have had an orientation towards their community and have done great works within their community. But by and large, in my larger lived experience and observances, have led me to conclude that the church has not been involved enough in the inner workings of their community in regards to bringing the gospel from outside of the church building into the streets and and into the lives of the people who surround that church building. Uh, and you feel that Pentecostals, Pentecostal churches have done worse compared to other mainline denominations? You know, I don't know that I could accurately answer that question because 
I, I don't have a lot of experience with mainline churches other than Catholicism. I did grow up in a Catholic school. Now, if I had to compare those two, I would say that Pentecostal churches, in my experience, did more to reach the community and outreach to the community than did my Catholic experience, but that's not even Protestant. Um, but I haven't done a lot to compare the two. I do know as far as the outreach I've witnessed, it is more event oriented, um, doing things like partnering with Convoy of Hope, having going out and doing, um, you know, free health food, checks, free food delivery. And even in our own church, we have a weekly food pantry where people can come here to us to receive food if they're in need. Um, but as far as us going out to them, it's limited to a few times a year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, in you know, the summertime, uh, more event oriented than a continual outreach. Now, going to a core issue, I know that you have been doing a lot of research on um, racial inequality and racial reconciliation in your um, postgraduate studies now. Uh, how do you think progressive ideologies, this is a, a little bit of a far-reaching question, Okay. progressive ideologies under social justice today affects the church relationship to movements such as Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and the movement? Okay, so I would say that from from what I've observed in in my studies, the idea of social justice, whether right or not, has always been attached to a more progressive ideology. Those who have considered themselves to be conservative have been primarily concerned with conserving the culture and the value of the past. Um, and again, whether or not that's the individual identification of each person within those two movements, that seems to be how it has always been. So you fast forward now to 2020, and the progressive movement or ideology doesn't just incorporate equality uh, for races, equality for men and women, but it, it, it now also includes sexuality, yes. uh, gender uh, definitions. And so in the same in the same fight for equality. And so what happened, I, what I think is happening in my own judgment is that because movements like Black Lives Matter as a progressive as a progressive movement, because they're also fighting for racial equality, but they're also fighting for these other equalities that have been deemed by the church and from a Pentecostal biblical interpretation are deemed as sinful. It, I think it has put a strain on the church's ability to identify with such a movement. And so instead of instead of being able to rationally distinguish the causes within the progressive movement, I feel that the Pentecostal church, especially white Pentecostal churches, have just rejected the movement altogether for fear of being identified with progressive causes that aren't related to recon racial reconciliation. And I think that it's to the church's detriment where in an ideal world, pastors and leaders and, and white Pentecostal leaders who truly believe the gospel and say that we deserve to the, the minorities in our country, the, the black minorities in our country deserve 
equality and they don't have it and we need to fight for that. And instead of just picking that up and saying, okay, black lives do matter and I will support that truth instead for fear of, I guess, of, of what people will say about their progressiveness are even afraid to say that simple term because now they're identified with the ideology. And I you think, know, so. I don't think yeah, it's helpful. Back, yeah. Back in the day, you know, I was told that what one generation deems as taboo becomes acceptable in another generation. So it's like every generation is constantly pushing the envelope and pushing the boundaries. So my take on that would be, you know, the, um, the leaders of the churches are afraid that once they begin to accept or pick and choose a certain value, then the next generation now begins to pick more of the values of organizations that the previous generation has supported without realizing that, okay, these other values is something that goes against the traditional values of the church. So the fear is really there. But one other question I, I really want to jump to is, if you are in a position in your congregation to speak mm-hmm. and a particular incident or action in society was unjust, would you address it from the pulpit? Okay. So again, this is a bit of a complicated question for me because I, although I have a position of leadership, I am not the lead pastor. And so in my personal experience, any public statement that I make from the pulpit would have to be essentially approved by, or I would have to know without a doubt that it would be approved by my, my senior leadership. And you know, um, leadership apart from the senior pastors would not have freedom of expression. In my particular context, that would be the case. I I could make a statement and I could say something, um, but there is the chance that I would then have to face the consequences of that statement. Yeah, but that's it's a similar situation in most churches anyway around the United States. And 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 for my context, even social media. Yes. There's a an official policy where any statements that we make can't be divisive and because of the politics attached to um Black Lives Matter or big incidences sometimes even those are perceived as political statements instead of just gospel statements or uh kingdom statements. And so what I've been trying to do is inform every statement that I make with scripture and with gospel and just tie it back to that. So where I don't necessarily have to promote an organization, I will share a scripture verse and say, the lives and and livelihood of all black people matter, right? I can't use black lives matter, but I will rephrase it in a way so that I'm communicating the same message, hopefully without the same political undertones, although I think they're perceived regardless of whether they're outright spoken or not. Yeah. I but think I it, you, know, you're, you're only trying to be safe due to the fact that, you know, there's also another context that churches, nonprofit organizations, you know, uh, 501c3 organizations are not allowed to endorse candidates or appear to be too political. Correct. Because of the nature of their status. So that becomes another, you know, tension that the church has to manage. And you also have congregational members that are leaning towards certain beliefs. Some believes in all life matters. 
Some believe in Black Lives Matter. By the time you as leadership take a position, then you are now also dividing the congregation itself. Correct. You know? So that could be another thing a lot of churches have that I've spoken with have said. Um, but how would you say, how would your response be to say that, how is your church responding to the growing racial tension in the country? So in our particular context, we're in a rural part of West Texas, and we are a majority Hispanic congregation, actually, um, English-speaking Hispanic congregation, and then we have a lot of Anglos or whites in our congregation, and a, a small percentage of uh, black people in our congregation. And that's, that's the majority of our makeup. Well, being in the rural part of West Texas that we are, we are in a very politically conservative area. And I believe that whether it's identified or spoken aloud or not, I believe that that political ideology is so strong in our area that when it, it issues of racial uh, inequality arise, there is always a, it's always handled in a very careful, in a very careful way as to not offend people of a conservative political persuasion. Very, very delicate, right? Yeah, it's, it's a very delicate thing. And, and that while our pastor did get up and say this, what happened with George Floyd, what has happened to uh, black people in our country is is a sin. Racism is a sin. It, it's outright condoned from the pulpit, you know. And and the challenge is everybody in this place needs to check their hearts and make sure that there is no racism in your heart. I think that it's always uh, addressed from a personal sinful state, not necessarily from a a broader cultural problem. I see. I see. And um, now let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your church being a Pentecostal church yes. versus um, social justice. So can you comment on the Pentecostal distinctive of being spirit filled versus your church's obligation to social justice? Because sometimes some people and theologians feel, you know, um, Pentecostals tend to feel, well, because we're Pentecostals, um, social justice doesn't fall within the purview of our own expression of worship, you know. So you think there is a connection there that there is a, a manifestation of the spirit's obligation in the area of social justice or racial equality, or do you think Pentecostals have um, an obligation because of their distinctive of being spirit-filled to be active in the area of social justice. Do you understand the question? Yeah, I think I do. And I would say that I do believe that there is, in in theory, the idea that as a spirit-filled people, we have an obligation to affect all aspects of society. And the reason I think that, that that's true in our theory and even that that's believed in, in, in a portion of our practice is because if you look at even the Assemblies of God, the missions arm of our organization, world missions, even yeah. home missions, mm -hmm. that is exactly what our missions arm is all about. It's about meeting the needs of people in a holistic way 
and in so doing, presenting them with the gospel. You, you have- know, a lot of people have said um, that the AG does missions abroad, but it doesn't um, do social justice in the U.S. Right, and I would agree with that statement because it's been relegated to the missions arm. And so now, well, we have home missions. So that might not be necessarily the local church's responsibility because we're supporting a missionary who picks up that cause. We have a missionary who fights sex trafficking. We have a missionary who ministers in the inner city to minister to children. We have a missionary who does these things apart from understanding in our own context, in our own communities, how we can, how we have neglected the, the cause of justice and how we can, how we in neglecting it, I think there needs to be an evaluation to say, have we relegated this aspect of the gospel work to nonprofits or to missionaries where the spirit gave it to the church? And while those, while those organizations and those missionaries, maybe we could say, well, they're a part of the church. I do believe that there's a local church obligation from uh, from a scriptural precedent, looking at the the early church after Pentecost and how they interacted with their communities, um, and I think that we that's something that we need to evaluate and be more intentional about. Now, I would push back on this one thing, and just in having some conversations lately, when we we divide justice by different branches, and we have biblical just we have social justice. Um, gender justice, whatever different types yeah, of justice, economic yeah. justice. I think that maybe if we just defined biblical justice as as involving all of those things, maybe that would be a better approach. <laughs> yeah, a lot because of people. Then it can't be separated. Then it can't. Well, that's social justice, and this is biblical justice. No, biblical justice includes social justice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people use that those distinctions just to bring more confusion and try yeah. to avoid certain realities. But you made yeah, a very valid point there that the church should not outsource its mm-hmm. obligation. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than just uh, get a, a missionary sponsored to to um, um, the homeless in in Ecuador. The church should be able to focus on the homeless down in its own area, in South Florida, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, and have. So it also means that in terms of staffing, we should actually have a focus on that as well, right? On staffing. On staffing, it, we should make social justice a core area that even in people's job description and in job roles. Oh, okay. We should include it because in your role as an executive pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you find yourself hiring people mm-hmm. in such role ministries and all that. So it should be part of now job descriptions in people's portfolios to make it more intentional, right? Hey, that's a great point. Um, that when we hire a pastor, having them understand that part of their ministry isn't just to pastor the people who exist in the congregation, but when they're here in this building, but to minister to the to minister to them holistically and to minister to those who have yet to receive Christ and to see that hey part of what you can do in spreading the gospel includes these other avenues of 
of ministering, you know, ministering the, 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 the justice of the spirit to those who are not, who haven't, it's not their lived experience. They don't know what justice is because they've never experienced it. And we have the opportunity as bearers of God's image and bearers of his spirit to, to, to show people how they also are bearers of his image and they are, they are equal and they are worthy and, and they, they are welcome. And I, wow. You know. oh, that's wonderful. It reminds me of a statement I had many years ago that even the word parish comes from an old reference to a community that a, a, a priest's parish is the community, not the church. Hmm. So as pastors, we are called to pastor the community, not the congregation. That's good. And every minister should not forget that. That God has God will not tell us. It's just about the congregation, but about the community which we live in. Yes. So that's a, a very important point, Christina. I know time is uh, is failing us to go further, mm-hmm. uh, but it has really, really been very insightful speaking with you on this subject of social justice and holistic ministry within the Pentecostal Church. And you are speaking even from a, both a South Florida experience and also a Texas experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that brings a very rich um, perspective, even in this conversation. So thank you so much. Um, any final words? I guess just my final word is let's focus on our context and our communities and not be blind to them. And I think that the Lord has called us and appointed us for a time and not just called us to a time, but to a place and to a people. And so, you know, not everybody's neighborhood or community will look the same. And so not everybody's everybody's communication of the gospel will look the same. And so in South Florida, what justice looks like there is not exactly what justice will look like in rural West Texas, but it all is it is all formed by, informed by, and defined by Jesus's words in the gospels. <laughs> and so we have to just always remember that, that we can't pick and choose what the gospel means, but we have to communicate that in whatever context we find ourselves. But the message is always the same. And that is that the kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus and that we are living towards the reality that one day all will be restored and that we will be completely uh, restored, not just in our own image of Christ, but in relationship with one another, in relationship with God and with the created order. And so that's, we have, we have an obligation to start living that out now until he returns. Wow. That's amazing, Christina. We, we cannot pick and choose the gospel. We have to preach the holistic gospel. Yes. And you said that God has called us to a time, to a place and to a people. And we must remember that, that we are called to people. Yes. And so that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for your insight and perspective. If you are listening, I suggest you, you know, listen, share this podcast and learn from it. Um, write if you have any questions. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe.